Hello everyone and welcome to the File Room Podcast, a podcast about the X-Files. That is also a desperate attempt to reconnect a friendship across the Atlantic. I'm Edwin Davis. And I'm Michaela Livingston-Banks. If you're new to the X-Files or watching it for the 10th time, watch along with us while we explore the dark corners of the American psyche. Via a TV show from the 90s. So, Michaela, I think if people are going to be listening to this podcast, they probably want to know a few things. So, like, who the hell we are, why we're going to talk about the X-Files. So, I guess, first off, who the hell are you and why are you going to be talking about the X-Files? I didn't realise we were going to be getting so deep so quickly. Who am I? (laughs) Yeah, so first and foremost, I'm an X-Files fan. Um, I started watching way too young. Um... And it's probably had quite a lot of impacts on my personality, my life choices, probably more than I care to really think about. Um, But I guess I'm a sort of reformed scientist in the sense that, um, you know, amongst various other characters on TV, but obviously Scully was a big uh, sort of inspiration in terms of being a scientist. And that's what I ended up being, at least for a little bit. Now I work with scientists. in all sorts of disciplines it's it's fascinating i love learning etc um love a bit of sleuthing um but yeah that's me ed who the hell are you well i also uh, am a fan of the x-files i didn't start watching it way too young because i was too scared um <laughs> i do have a very clear memory of watching the first episode on tv in the uk Probably not the night it aired, but certainly like sometime later, maybe in a repeat, um, and being really terrified by the opening scene of a young girl running through the woods and bright lights, and then immediately turning it off and being like, well, I'm not watching that again. Uh, <laughs> and then some years later, around about, I think, season seven or eight, uh, I started watching it again, because by that point, I had started watching shows that were a bit more adult and I also I myself was you know an, an adolescent at that point and that mm. point the, the point where you think you're ready for adult things but you're absolutely not but you'll persevere anyway um and so I decided watching things like Buffy which I think obviously is a show that structurally owes a lot to the X-Files mm. and was decidedly more horror and sci-fi influenced than a lot of other stuff that I was watching and that kind of felt like the primer for me to start watching the X-Files and so i I watched the show sort of through its final years and then years later circled back and started watching it from the beginning. Uh, and besides, yeah, really loving The X-Files, uh, I am someone who writes and thinks about television quite a lot. I used to blog about movies for, for many years. I had a podcast called Shot Reverse Shot that I did with a couple of friends where every week we would talk about different subjects and you, I believe, were on it to talk about the X-Files maybe at one point. Mm, I, I've yeah. seen to maybe, you were definitely on a few episodes and I'm pretty sure we talked about the X-Files and at least one of them. And you and I, and the reason we're doing this podcast now is you and I uh, met up uh, a couple of months ago and uh, I was talking about how I wanted to get back into podcasting and because it had been a year or so since that show had more or less wrapped up. And uh, you reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to do an X-Files recap podcast? And I thought, that sounds like that would be a lot of fun. I loved that show when it was on. But I've not, I don't think I've ever like sat and watched it all the way through in order. Like I say, I had a bit of a back and forth kind of relationship to the show where I started at the end and then circled back. So I feel like uh, that would be an interesting and fun thing to do at this point. So you've never watched it all the way through? Because, like, Ed, we we do have pedigree here in terms of, like, marathon watching Mm -hmm. endurance feats, I guess. Um, We have been known to do marathon watch-alongs. Don't know if you want to admit what (laughs) what we've done in the past. It sounds really bad. It's not that bad. It's quite bad. Well, I... (laughs) There's, there's two. I think uh, when we were also the, the other thing that people probably should know is you and I went to university together, and that's where we met. We were friends yeah. at university, and we were housemates uh, for a few years. And when we were at university, we would do drink alongs to things like Deadwood and The Wire, which is why you probably don't have a great memory of anything that happened in either of those shows because <laughs> no, <laughs> um, 
pretty sure that we when we were doing those it was every any initially it was anytime anyone swore and that was a mistake so i think yeah. maybe after that we limited it to certain words and then still it was still quite a lot uh but also some years later after we both graduated uh i came to visit you and your uh, then boyfriend now husband john and uh we watched every at the time existing land before time film over the course of 24 hours which um I still don't think either of us have truly recovered no. from that day, uh, even now, uh, even though it was very, very fun. And yep, yep, um, yep. We, still, yep, we still make references to it. Big, big, big water. Um, <laughs> years later. Um, but yeah, so, so this, I think, will be somewhat more serious-minded than that. And certainly a longer-term uh, project than just doing it in a single day <laughs> yes because there's over 200 episodes uh plus the movies don't forget so mm-hmm. um this is definitely gonna be a bit of an endurance this is not the first time i'll have watched it all the way through um so i was pretty committed when i when i did start watching it which was somewhere around season three well in fact not somewhere exactly season three um the too shy episode um, which is near the start of season three. So I, I watched it pretty religiously from that point onwards. Um, and then for my birthday and Christmas every year, um, I think after I started university, my parents would buy me a season box set on DVD. Mm. Um, so I have I have them all except for the, you know, the last two seasons, the newer seasons um, on DVD. And so I have watched it all the way through on those at least twice, <laughs> um, which, yeah, is funny. But the thing is, what you know what happens when you're bin- binging things is you kind of stop paying attention at parts. Yeah. So like, yeah, did I tell you the reason why I, I sort of thought, oh, it'd be good to watch The X-Files again? No. No. Oh, well, so I got a notification on my phone that... <laughs> Channel 4 must know me perfectly, so uh, the, the, the Channel 4 app on my phone gave me a notification saying all of the X-Files are now available to watch um, on on the 4 app. And uh, it's funny because I don't think it's ever... I've not noticed notifications it sent me before about different TV shows. So anyway, I got, the, I got that notification and I was like, ah even easier to watch i don't have to plug the dvd player in um and that would be a fun thing to do and actually pay attention like actually pay attention to each episode and like unpick it that sounds like a fun way of of spending free time yeah absolutely and yeah i agree and i think that's that's what we're our aim is for this podcast is to kind of look at these episodes somewhat in depth but obviously not go wild with it yeah we've both got jobs and lives so we're, we're not gonna be doing like three four hour episodes or whatever on each episode of television we're, we're i think our aims for this podcast is to try and do about an hour each episode have fairly full discussions about what happens in each episode and the themes and things like that and also i think uh probably an important thing to note is we're going to try and make this podcast for both people who are fans of the show and want to revisit and people who uh, are new to the show. Obviously there's, there's like whole generations of people who maybe don't really know the end, the, the X-Files that much who may decide to watch it uh, through this podcast, which would be wonderful. I think we'll be talking about each episode, but probably trying to avoid looking too far ahead on stuff, um, which is easy for the X-Files. Cause I like to say my experience of watching the show is while I have seen all of it, um, it's in bits and pieces. It's broken mm. up. So, so trying to explain the broader plot of the X Files for me, it would certainly be tricky just through um, the fact it's all kind of mixed up <laughs> in my mind. I mean, somewhere. honestly, Ed, like I say, I've <laughs> I've watched it all the way through at least three, possibly four times, and I think every time I'm like, "This is it. This time, I'm really gonna get a handle on this mythology." You know, the longer <laughs> arc of it. And I'm like, I sort of do, but but not really. But I'm not sure if that's because, like I say, you you kind of stop paying attention at points, or because actually, it's not it's not the clearest 
um, strand of logic, let's say that that mm. runs through it. Um, I don't know if they were making it up on the fly or what, but I'm I'm maybe I'm this time this time I'll figure <laughs> out the detail of it um, and try and decide whether or not it makes any actual sense. Although I think probably whether or not it makes sense is by the by because obviously mm. TV was. It was different. I mean, so it was first aired like literally 30 years ago. We're recording now in November 2023. Um, So we're coming up to almost like exactly 30 years ago that it first aired in the UK. Um, And TV was just, it was done differently back then, wasn't it? It's not like these days when you have these like long bingeable series where I think the pressure on the writing to kind of hang together to that kind of level of scrutiny kind of has a bigger role to play but i don't know you're you're the tv guy the movie guy it was definitely different in an age where a show like where where most shows that aired on network television in the u.s were expected to have like 22 to 24 episodes and whilst i think that model has a lot of strengths in terms of how much it pushes shows to be innovative uh and certainly in some of the like interviews i've been reading with chris carter and some of the other writers uh, a lot of them tend to put a lot of value in that because when you do have to write that much television you are going to eventually start having sort of stranger and more interesting ideas than if you know you're trying to work on a more focused uh yeah that does not necessarily lend itself to having a totally coherent well planned out mythology yeah. Not not to say that, you know, that that is necessarily, like you said, that's not necessarily the most important thing about the X-Files. It was a show that was um, especially great at doing, like, at being an episodic television show where each episode was about a thing, uh, usually a case of the week. And when it would focus on the mythology, that was a little, probably a bit more of a mixed bag, but I still think yeah. there's lots of really great episodes of television that came out of them trying to thread the needle between being a monster of the week show and something that had a bigger story that it was unfolding across multiple years and seasons and different forms of media and things like that yeah and the monster of the week episodes were always my absolute favorite um Mm. they they and, and all of my favorite episodes like i have a few that really stand out like they are all monster of the week type episodes um one of them i think was a two-parter but generally speaking it's monster of the week and as much as i i really enjoy you know those kind of like big nuanced but arced shorter series that you get these days on streaming services and things like that i I don't know what the technical term is for those but those kind of quite um sophisticated storytelling across you know six to 12 episodes however long these seasons are um actually the the tv shows that have kind of gone back to that kind of story of the week type things um like a lot of the new series of of um the star trek series the new ones Mm -hmm. yeah um strange new worlds that's kind of back to a kind of episode of the week type thing um compared to you know the other new series which do that kind of longer arc thing um and i i like it i'm here for it yeah i'm too tired to pay attention across a week of tv (laughs) watching do you know what i mean like I, i i do actually like dipping into these things so um, I think the other thing that I'm I'm hoping that will be really interesting to look at is 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 look at it through the lens of the technology and society and everything mm. else we have today and kind of think oh how much has things changed because um, it's obviously you get quite a few TV shows these days where it's maybe set thirty years ago or longer but this was actually made then so it's like ooh, what, what we'll be able to tell about what life was like at the time. Yeah, I, I think it's like a lot of shows that are made around then, there's so much material, so there will be lots of interesting little snapshots, I'm sure, of how technology changed and society changed. And I think also the themes of the show, the sense of paranoia that it really tapped into, which mm-hmm. was sort of resurgence in the early 90s. I think if you look at things like 
Oliver Stone's JFK and the general kind of increase in interest in the Kennedy um, assassination that really kind of reached a peak around that time or even more recent conspiracy stuff like, you know, people were still talking a lot about Watergate and the Iran-Contra thing, uh, scandal had, had happened a few years earlier. So there was uh, a real resurgence in paranoid thinking and belief in conspiracy theories around about then that... Um, you can definitely see parallels to now. So I think that will be a really interesting thing to consider, the ways in which the viewpoint of the show retains uh, quite a lot of uh, relevance, even 30 years later. Yeah, and I I think another thing as well that I'll be kind of looking out for um, will be in the treatment of scully as a character and other women on the show and things like that Mm. just because obviously and my and like i I have watched this a number of times including i don't know the last time i watched it through would have been sometime in the last five or so years um oh yeah it was in the run-up to the new seasons um coming out in like 2015 and 16 um Mm, so yeah it well actually god that was seven oh god you know one of these things where it's like oh god that was actually eight years ago now jesus um but yeah, like w- watching it now with that kind of awareness, because at the time, obviously, I think they were trying to present this like independent, free thinking, strong woman main character. And, and so there was, there was definitely, you know, there's most definitely good intention around it. Um, but I'm sure there's still going to be bits that was just bits about it that are going to be like, oh, that's yeah. not quite as fully formed as a female character perhaps as it could be i don't know but i'll be i'm i'm certainly more aware of these things these days um even that you know in the last eight years so i think i'm going to be watching out for that kind of stuff as well yeah i, I imagine that stuff is really going to stand out when you look at the you know the, the writing staff for that show you think oh yeah mostly men and see see how well they uh, they handle the themes uh, yeah. of women in in male institutions yeah yeah exactly yeah the writers of the show quite a lot of them have gone on to great and good things as well haven't they since yes then. yes I, I think another thing that'll be interesting to consider is the influence the show has had because obviously there's the direct influence which is the Vince Gilligan, probably the most famous mm-hmm. of the the alumni, uh, having gone on to create Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, but also people like uh, James Wong and Glenn Morgan, who went on to create the Final Destination series of films, uh, which started out as an X-Files spec script, although I don't think they wrote that one, weirdly, but they, at the very least, kind of looked at it and thought, oh, this is something we could do. <laughs> Why not? Um, and then uh, Alex Ganser and Howard Gordon, who, between them, would create 24 and Homeland, you know, there's lots of mm. people who went through the X Files writers' room and ended up creating sort of uh, era-defining shows of their own. But also, you know, more generally, I've mentioned Buffy. Buffy obviously is a show that owes a lot to the X Files and its structure. Supernatural, um, which just recently finished after something crazy like 15 seasons or something, yeah. um, that that's another show where you can look at it and say, oh, this is very clearly something that took a lot of cues in the x-files or even stuff that's not supernatural like the csi series like there's obviously a lot of um stuff about like forensic science which uh, the x-files popularized in a major way so yeah so i think there's lots of really interesting uh material there as well that, that we'll hopefully be able to discuss over the course of the show yeah definitely um i'm just i'm i'm just sort of sat here wondering um you know the kind of younger generations who might be thinking like oh this would be a kooky old thing to watch <laughs> <laughs> they've seen it advertised on channel four or whatever and just been like "Ooh," because you know it's a bit weird i know this is again showing age or whatever but <laughs> it's I, I do find it a bit weird that like the 90s and the noughties are kind of in fashion because like it's Mm. and and part of it is like a nostalgia thing right so us folk who were there the first time round we're like oh great let's reconnect with all of this stuff 
Um, but there are younger people. I see them on Instagram and I'm not on TikTok, but I see them on Instagram being like, oh, check out this old thing um, and thinking like, oh, aren't these like flip phones really cute and things? And it's retro, quote unquote. Um, but I'm just kind of wondering like what the younger generations <laughs> would make of this show. Um, I don't know. That would be interesting to hear about. If anyone's listening and you're uh, under the age of, I guess, 30 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or if you just weren't watching the show when it originally aired and are uh, checking it out now, we would love to hear your thoughts. We'll have a, an email address which you'll be able to uh, send stuff to and we'll, we'll say that at the end of the episode. Um, yeah, so definitely excited to discover what, what people who are not us don't have our specific relationship to this show um would would think of it now yeah i do think it's a bit wild ed that you you started in the later seasons which i think a lot of people would claim to be the weaker seasons although i quite mm. like them but um mm. but you know people claim to be the weaker seasons and you you felt it good enough to kind of dip back in and things like that but also by the sounds of it the first episode that you saw sounds like it might have been the pilot episode and you were just like nope as a kid <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely how i i remember it like it's, it's this very clear episode this very clear image in my mind of like it being on the tv and just freaking me out too much yeah um which you know I, i'm sure lots of kids have similar memories of just like that one thing that just like completely screwed them up um that they saw way too young uh usually in movies so you can't just like run out of the theater and leave it so they have to kind of sit with seeing like large marge in peewee's big adventure or whatever um <laughs> but, but versus just kind of seeing something in oh have you never heard about the happy no. people are really freaked yeah there's um there's a scene in peewee's big adventure where someone recounts see uh, a, a story about a woman named large marge who picks hitchhikers up and she's like a normal woman and then suddenly for like half a second she like turns into this monster and it's like a stop-motion monster and i think anyone who i guess would be maybe a few years older than us because that movie came out in like 1985 or whatever right. um that's often something people go to as being like one of their early experiences of like pure horror in a movie <laughs> he was big adventure check it out it's a good fun yeah one, no, one well of, okay, one of tim I'll burton's best list <laughs> Um, yeah, no, but that, see, it's funny because that was exactly my experience um, with the first episode I saw was, and, and like, this is how I managed to work out what the first episode I saw was because, like, the mm. images of it are just, like, burnt into my memory. Um, it was really gross and I was really horrified by it, but I don't know, like, I don't really like watching horror movies and stuff anymore, but when I was younger, I was really into it. Usually because it was, most of them were quite funny back then, I feel like. Now it's, they're just gross, like properly gross. Whereas back then they were like funny gross. Um, yeah, I used to quite like horror movies and stuff. And who knows if that's because I completely desensitized myself <laughs> from watching the X-Files <laughs> at a young age or what. But um, yeah, no, because it was completely horrific. And I'm, I'm, I guess I should ask my dad what he was thinking to let me watch this. Because it's not like I was like secretly watching it in my room or anything. Um, it was definitely a thing that was watched on the BBC with my father. Um, and yeah, but maybe it was just because it was so different. I can't tell you, but it was... It was a lot. Hmm. I, I think that as well speaks to one of the other things about why revisiting the X-Files is, is interesting is it was such a massive show. Like it was a show that so many people from so many walks of life mm -hmm. watched and got fascinated by. Uh, it wasn't just kind of like a niche cult show for dorks, although dorks obviously did love it. Um, it was a show that was viewed by tens of millions of people in the US and like many millions more people around the world. Mm. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to interrogate why that was, besides the fact that, you know, it came out at a time when still huge numbers of people just watched whatever was on TV and it yeah. wasn't splintered as much as it is nowadays. Yeah. Well, and th th that was going to be my question of uh, if people were 
you know, were adult or old enough or whatever to watch it back in the 90s and didn't and are now choosing to watch it now is like, who didn't see this? Because uh, mm. <laughs> it was such a... It was such a cultural phenomenon, I guess, like because there are references to it all over the shop. I think, even, well, certainly if you hadn't seen it, you'll be aware of the characters, the theme tune, um, and all sorts of stuff. I mean, you know, there were cameos in The Simpsons. Like, yeah, it was everywhere, really. Mm, and and also just even going beyond specifics, the the archetype of Mulder and Scully mm-hmm. is such an instantly recognizable shorthand if you wanted to sum up you know like a dynamic between characters on a tv show um the idea of the believer and the skeptic which is something that i think is a fairly um uh robust um approach to writing characters that recurs a lot the will way won't they chemistry you know there's obviously previous examples of that sam and diane in cheers moonlighting all that sort of stuff but the fact that they got added to that pantheon i think does really speak to the way in which it penetrated the culture, the the way in which everyone was just kind of like, oh yeah, we know what Mulder and Scully are, who Mulder and Scully are and what their whole deal is. Yeah. I have to say, I really get quite irritated by the will they, want they thing, with Mulder and Scully in particular. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like I was vindicated because I, I remember reading an interview with Chris Carter of him saying that they weren't ever meant to get together. Like that right. wasn't meant to be on the cards. Um, and we'll see how that pans out when we watch through. Um, but it was just kind of irritating because actually the far more interesting element is that skeptic um, alongside a believer type thing. I suppose the other thing, possibly to mention earlier <laughs> is that you're in florida and i'm in england <laughs> yeah so yeah our, our, our lives have gone in different directions they really <laughs> quite have. literally they really have but they're going to be knit back together on whatever this is this journey this uh this nightmare whatever this is going to end up being um <laughs> <laughs> are there um particular things that you're like really excited about or that you're not excited about about the thought of watching 200 odd episodes of the x-files i am quite interested to revisit specific episodes um home i think is one that i always enjoy is not the right word but that's certainly one that sticks out in my memory um and this the the kind of incestuous family one that's the one oh yeah, yeah no um, that's pretty horrific yeah pretty pretty one of those things that you wonder how did this end up on tv <laughs> i know it's not even paran- well it's not even paranormal like it's just, it's just gross, gross. <laughs> so gross yep. uh so i'm looking forward to that like you were saying earlier maybe just trying to come away with a better understanding if not a complete understanding of the mythology um uh, and I am, I'm really interested in, eventually when we get to it, re-watching the first movie, which I haven't seen in a long time. Mm. Um, and I remember watching for the first time at school, because uh, when I was in sixth form, they would let us hang out in one of the English rooms at lunchtimes, watch movies, and someone once brought the X-Files movie, so I watched it in like two installments over two lunch breaks, or three lunch breaks. Um and I can tell you, it made no sense to me whatsoever, because at that point I hadn't really watched much of the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it'd be fun to watch it in context and be kind of like, oh, right, this this makes slightly more sense once you've watched five seasons of a TV show leaving up to it. A little it. more sense, yeah. Yeah. The thing is, I feel like it makes sense for a short time, but obviously it is quite convoluted. And then mm. it kind of like disappears into the mist. The understanding just kind of disappears um but like i said i don't i'm i'm gonna try much harder for it not to disappear into the mist um yeah i the, it's funny the episodes i love the most are the funny ones um mm-hmm. the time bending ones those kind of things so um yeah and some of some of my favorite episodes are actually from the the doggett and reyes kind of era um ugh, which some people will not like to hear but anyway um they're pretty good they're pretty good 
Um, and I'm also looking forward to just noticing shifts in like, well, noticing if I notice a shift when mm. there were changes in like production and stuff, because obviously it was filmed to start off with in, in Canada um, and then moved to to Los Angeles or, or somewhere in California at some point. Um, many seasons in, quite a few seasons in. So it'll be interesting to see how that does if it changes the the feel of the episodes in any noticeable fashion but yeah i'm not looking forward to seasons 10 and 11 <laughs> i might be i might have just been the kind of like disappointed because you know it was really hyped up at the time um now i've got a little more distance from it maybe i'll feel differently re-watching those again um, but I do do recall not being especially super excited by by those when I watched them. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I guess I am excited to see those for the same reasons, in the sense that, you know, I watched them, I remember there were one or two episodes from that run that I thought were pretty solid. Yeah. And otherwise I have no strong feelings about them one way or the other so i think th those being perhaps the two seasons that i'm least familiar with just because i, I watched them once when they aired and then didn't mm. really feel any great need to go back to them it'd be interesting seeing them now separated from the hype mm. and with you know several years removed i mean by the time we get to those it'll be four years from now so so even more years <laughs> remove um by the time we eventually get around to watching those ones um yeah so i think that i think that will be very interesting it'll be very funny to listen back to this in four years time and just be kind of like oh yeah we were wrong but it was still bad <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't know what you were gonna get yourself into <laughs> like we're, we're it's funny if you think about it, ed we're gonna be going on on a journey in our life as it is because we're currently in our late 30s by the time we're finished we're gonna be in our 40s which feels like like a just a completely different part of life or it feels like it will it's probably not going to be any different i don't know michaela and ed of the future you tell us is is being in your 40s any different from being in your late 30s or is it the same same old mm. um, i i i imagine it's probably similar you just ache a little more <laughs> in di in different places <laughs> that's probably the only real difference uh, life is hard uh before we get into the, the, the kind of table setting about what television was like before the X-Files and talk kind of broadly about what it did that was new uh, and innovative, do you have any other kind of X-Files related stories you'd like to share before, before we get into it? I mean, only one that revolves around me never ever going to be able to forgive my mother. Um rest in peace mum but i'm never gonna forgive <laughs> you about about this um so being the fan that i was um when i was about 11 or 12 years old i i wrote a letter to david duchovny and Gillian anderson um telling them how much of a fan i was uh also that i recognized i was too young to be watching the x-files <laughs> but uh whatever anyway in reply to this i got a signed photo you know you could see it was marker pen and everything and like i look like this was like the greatest possession that i had now i was also young enough at this time to be role-playing games um with my brother and um i happened to be playing role-play post offices because that's what sort of awesome child I was, you know. <laughs> and and as part of that game, you know, we had in trays and out trays, of various things that needed to be delivered around the house. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, I guess I, I'd just left this very important um, photo in an envelope, in a box, like out in the hallway. And my mother, bless her, cleared it up by filing it into the bin um and i didn't realize until it was too late and so this beloved item has been missing now for over two decades um <laughs> and i feel the pain of it at least weekly still i you think i'm joking <laughs> but like honestly so sad so sad I wish I wish I still had that photo, but never mind. I say never mind. No, I'm never forgiving you, Mum. Never. 
never and we were joking earlier about how show like we'd hope that um you know I'll sh- go go into the afterlife and be like god damn you mom i'm still <laughs> never forgiving you um and if if you know in the afterlife the photo from the rubbish was there and then of course you start thinking about how awful it would be if everything you ever threw away was in the afterlife heaven doesn't seem so sweet in that sense but anyway yeah it's, we're definitely veering into toy story 3 territory <laughs> just lots of really sad items all uh invested with meaning and stuck together in the afterlife well i learned an important lesson <laughs> not to leave important things lying around Obviously, you know, the thing we want to do with this episode initially was introduce us and say who we are. The other part of uh, this episode really is uh, want to talk a little bit about what TV was like before the X-Files, because in planning this out, I realized there's like there's a lot of context, which I think if you tried to do it in the first episode, it would be a bit overwhelming. So we're kind of doing that uh, in the back half of this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about what television was like before the X-Files and, and why uh, it became such a phenomenon so if you think about television in the early night late 80s early 90s in america obviously very different to television today uh streaming obviously totally doesn't exist cable exists but is not the powerhouse that it is today things like hbo and showtime exist but they were mainly known for producing sort of cult comedies and the occasional drama. Mainly, it was a place you went if you wanted to watch movies that had recently come out. Uh, And so television was dominated by the main uh, networks, of which there were four. Three of them had dominated uh, television in America for like 50 years, basically, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And then in 1986, a little network called Fox comes along. Uh, I say 1986, it was founded then, didn't really start airing episodes of television until 1987, and even then, it didn't even air every day of the week. Their their initial approach was, we're going to find days of the week when people don't usually watch TV, and then we're going to air shows then, because we can't get destroyed by the established shows. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Are you telling me that Fox is as old as I am, but is it acts as old as some like grumpy old granddad? Yeah, certain parts. Certain yeah, no, parts I'm, I'm Fox thinking Network. Fox News, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so they were they were a new Hungry Network. They had had some hits out the gate, basically, with Married with Children, which became a huge hit. And oh, I loved that when I was a kid. Established it as a place for, I guess, disreputable television, because it was a, it's one of those shows where you watch it now and you think this, is, this feels like fairly standard sitcom, but at the time it was like absolute uh, controversy magnet where everyone was saying this was like the absolute uh, dregs of culture or something um that must be why i loved it yeah well yeah, everyone wants to watch something that's kind of considered like a little trashy and a little like beneath what the the elites of society think you should be watching um, hell yeah uh, and then the other kind of big show they had around them was the tracy allman show sketch show which uh is now Largely forgotten, apart from the fact that it's where The Simpsons started, um, uh, as tiny little shorts that aired um, during the show, which became so popular that you know obviously it spawned its own show and and that. Um, so those three shows and cops were kind of like the backbone of, of Fox for several years, and they were very very smart in that they kind of grew slowly, side adding more programming, and so by June of 1993 they were able to start airing stuff seven days a week, uh, and were looking for shows that, you know, could get an audience that were unique, That, or, but also um, they were in this kind of, I guess they were kind of in the perfect, perfect position for a show like The X-Files to come along that, um, when it initially started airing, wasn't like a massive hit, but did do well, because they're mm. a network that can't really afford to cancel a show that does okay 
Like if they were, if they had like a string of like massive successes, then they'd be like, "This show only gets fifteen million viewers. Why would you whoa, care?" Whoa. <laughs> Ed, are you telling me that the X Files isn't an absolute absolute masterpiece from the first second? Uh, well, I... <laughs> are you saying it's ju- it was considered as just okay? Is I, that what I'm you're not saying quality wise. I'm talking in terms of viewers, in terms of viewership. Because, Fair enough. Uh, yeah, again, also, if we're thinking about television, though, this is like peak monoculture where uh, culture hasn't fragmented so much that everyone's kind of like watching hundreds of different things. Like everyone's watching a handful of things, essentially. And What, what are the, the handful case. of things? Do you, is that in your notes? You're your hardwired to uh, IMDb? Well, I think in terms of if you're talking about movies, like everyone goes to watch like Jurassic Park. Yeah. Like everyone watches ER, everyone watches Law and Order. Like these are the shows that were like really, really massive uh, and movies and stuff. Uh, but like something like The X Files, which, you know, was like a modest success in its first season, was still pulling in like, um, yeah, was still pulling in like. 8 million viewers, like, on average, which would make it, like, the biggest show on television nowadays. But in those days, that was, like, uh, you know, like, you're talking about a time when something like Seinfeld was pulling in, like, 30 million viewers per episode. So, yeah, so it's, it's very much a different time, and I think Fox, at this point, um, are looking for, obviously they would, like, want a mega hit, but if they get something that's does well enough and generates a lot of attention then the, you know, they're going to stick with it and it, it's kind of like the right ground for uh, a show like the x-files to come along and like find its feet mm. um the other important thing that's going on in television around about this time is that you saw a bunch of shows that had come out in the sort of the previous preceding few years that really tried to push the envelope in terms of what you could do on network television obviously there have been lots of great shows in the history of television, but um, oftentimes they were somewhat limited in scope, or you know they would be, they would not necessarily try and do something that would be considered too weird. But in the lead up to um, the X Files debuting, you had like a handful of shows that really felt like they were trying something different. One of the big ones was the, the show Moonlighting, starring Bruce Willis and uh, Sybil Shepherd, which had come out in the late eighties and was you know this very um, funny, uh, very literate um, show with a very kind of compelling will they won't lie dynamic at the start between the two leads, um, which was renowned for constantly playing with the form, like trying different things in different episodes. You know, like it's like, oh, let's do a musical episode. This one will be like in a different genre and things like that. Um, and it was it's kind of short lived because the show kind of like span out of control after a few seasons, but um, certainly for a few years it was like a lightning in the bottle hit that made stars out of both well civil shepherd was had been like a star but this, this was kind of like um brought her back to prominence after a decade or so of being in obscurity and made bruce willis a star mm. that and die hard were like the things that turned him into like two of the, the one of the biggest stars in the world um And then one of the other shows that was a really big deal around about this time was Twin Peaks, the supernatural drama slash soap opera slash nightmare created by David Lynch and Mark Frost, which was a show that brought a a really strong cinematic sensibility to American TV that hadn't really been there before. Like maybe you get something in a miniseries or something, but this was the first time where it really felt like you were watching a film like every episode. It also was a show that had, it, it was a very strange show. You know, had a very strange sense of humor. It had odd supernatural elements that crept in increasingly as the show went on. It also, like I said, it was a nightmare. It had like some, some truly some of the most terrifying imagery I've ever seen in an episode of television. Uh, and while there are, more direct ways in which you can kind of say that Twin Peaks influenced the X-Files, the most obvious being that David Duchovny has a a small role in the sort of the last few episodes of it, playing a a trans FBI agent uh, named Denise, uh, a performance that uh, I think is is held 
in relatively high regard within the trans community based on the, the critics that I follow, um, which is certainly not the case with a lot of similar performances, you could say, from uh, art of the early 90s. Um, but also Don S. Davis, who went on to play uh, School, Scully's dad, um, had a recurring role in uh, The X-Files as well. Um, I think more in a more general sense, Twin Peaks really pushed the envelope in terms of what people thought you could do with television, certainly from a writing perspective. And I think from the executive network level, people tended to maybe expand their heroines a little bit and think, okay, people are willing to accept something that's a little weird, that's a little scary. Uh, and, and I think there is a fairly direct line between Twin Beaks coming out and being a success, if a short-lived one, and the X-Files coming out a few years later. You know, it, it really made people think, what is... What can we do with television that hasn't been done before? And then finally, and into this whole situation, uh, comes a young writer named Chris Carter, who did not have a lot on his CV that would suggest <laughs> that he was about to create one of the most important television shows of the 90s, I think it's fair to say. Which I think is kind of interesting, because that, that, that place in creativity where you hit upon an idea and you can kind of make it come to life. So um, I read uh, a bit of an interview, was it, I think? Or was it his op-ed thing that he wrote for the New York Times or the Washington Post? I can't remember. I'd have to look that one up. But um, he just said something about that that place of tension you get when um, when thinking about like paranormal things or like what you do and don't trust the bit of you that wants to believe and the bit of you that can't let yourself believe because you're being cynical skeptical whatever like the rational mm. bit of you that won't and like that interplay between that um and i guess that's scully and Mulder. that and that's kind of a huge thing about the premise of the show in the first certainly in the first few seasons obviously I would say the X-Files goes a bit off the wall <laughs> afterwards in terms of they're just going, no, no, we're just going to believe now. Mm. And I want to yeah. I want to pinpoint the moment that that happens, <laughs> which episode, which series. I think, you know, I'm going to I'm going to identify the exact moment the X-Files stops one stops playing around in that tension and just dives right in. Yeah, I think uh, that's probably that was probably inevitable, really. If if you're making a show that runs that long yeah. and has characters kind of encountering uh, paranormal creatures and events like every week, eventually you're going to be like, yeah, kind of have to assume <laughs> straight away that all of this stuff is actually happening. Um, although I, I, in interviews that I've read with um, various people involved with it and, and also, you know, reading critical works, like I think... Um, a lot, of, a, a, a lot of them will tend to bring up the the joke of like you know, you know every, every week she's just kind of like, well yeah, sure vampires exist, but you know like <laughs> now now you're telling me it's a Wendigo? Come on, Mulder. <laughs> yeah. it's like um, you know she is uh, the, the 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 thing with Scully is she is just trying to apply I guess the scientific method to everything where you, you just you just can't assume that all this stuff is 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 real. But yeah, I think when Mulder has been right about it being real a hundred times, like time hundred and one, you probably have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Or yeah, so he thinks, but but this mm -hmm. is but this is the point where I think the show I we'll see we will see. But I'm reasonably confident my my memory here is that um for for some time, maybe it's only in the first season, maybe it's only in the first couple of seasons, but for some time it's never clear or not whether what Mulder, what we're seeing is what is, is from like Mulder's point of view. Scully's always a few steps behind. So are we just seeing things through a crazy man's eyes or, or is it in fact real? Of course he thinks it's real, but like there's always a bit of doubt until there's not. Mm. And that's what I mean. Yeah. Like it, it's sort of, and especially, yeah, later on when Scully's, like, digging up UFOs and whatnot, you know. 
that it's got it's gone over the edge at that point (laughs) (laughs) for sure but but maybe there are little baby steps before that point so also uh as part of uh chris carter's inspiration everything is the show kolchak right what's the full title kolchak the night stalker the night stalker so i've only watched one episode of this and what i would say is that um definitely Mulder's leaps of <laughs> um logic um like that that i can i can see aspects of Mulder's character coming through in kolchak's character the kind of charming confident um guy who who will jump to all sorts of uh, conclusions <laughs> i definitely see that in kolchak yeah you and i both decided we were going to watch at least some Kolchak because it's often cited as like the big influence on the X-Files and, and we wanted to get a sense of like, okay, like how much of the DNA of the X-Files is mm-hmm. in this? The, the other inf- influence he cites um, around the time of like Twilight Zone, obviously like yeah. the most famous um, paranormal show in the history of American television, the Outer Limits, I think also mm, is kind mm-hmm. of a big influence. Um, and then, you know, cinematically stuff like, uh, you know, Parallax View and like, 70s uh, paranoid thrillers these are all kind of like whirling around in his head but Kolchak is the one that he kind of like points to it's to me I think it really feels like structurally it's obviously a huge influence because it is a monster of the week Mm -hmm. show Uh, a term that obviously I think the X-Files really or or discussion around the X-Files eventually like really popularizes that an idea but when you watch Kolchak's like well you know he's a you know this uh, character played by Darren McGavin who is um a independent reporter in Chicago who is always investigating all these different like weird occurrences that turn out to be vampires or voodoo priests or um, I think the one you watched there was like an energy monster or something. Yeah, like a Native <laughs> American energy monster living on buried under a hospital. Yeah, you can definitely see uh, a huge influence on the X Files in the way in which it's going. Okay, like how can we? how can we introduce these different uh, supernatural ideas or figures from folklore and different cultures and have them interact with our main character and i think also the thing that carter takes away from um kolchak and that becomes i think the important thing that makes the, the x-files compelling is making the stories at least to some extent about the people that kolchak meets mm-hmm. because obviously the very nature of network television is a certain degree of status quo. Like you can't kill off your two main characters, um, and if your aim is to make a show that lasts two hundred eight episodes, you know, or two hundred eighteen episodes, um, you kind of have. So there's not going to be any tension of Mulder and Scully are going to die, but you can get tension from what will they see mm-hmm. what will happen to them and that they will survive and also can they help the people that they meet and that i think is is something you see a lot and certainly in the episodes of cold track that i watched like there would usually be like one innocent person who has wandered into this situation that he is then trying to kind of like help solve the whatever the problem of the week is um so that they can make it through alive uh and that uh, structurally, I think you can see a lot of Kolchak in in the X Files. Mm. Yeah, I guess because I only watched one episode. Really, um, yeah, it was hard to sort of gauge the kind of how the how the structure or tone of it. I guess the tone. Yeah, I I could see it was quite tongue in cheek, and like I say, the character mapped quite well to to what Mulder's like, um, and as well his relationship with his boss. Um, mm, yeah, it's it's that kind of cheeky. Okay, I'll go do this, but trying to I'm kind of pushing the boundaries and breaking the rules a little bit. Um, yeah, although obviously the boss is nothing like Skinner, but that no. that kind of relationship I could sort of see coming through and things like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was sort of going into it. I was assume for some reason, and and obviously now I'm thinking about it. The X Files isn't really totally like not like dark and moody or anything mm. like that but i i don't know why going into it i kind of thought that's what it's gonna be like and then i watched it and it was nothing like that and i was like oh wait no but but that is like, like the x-files is kind of cheeky and 
you know. Yeah, I think uh, tonally, if you're comparing like Kolchak to something like, I don't know, like Columbo, sort of similar era, it's a little darker than that, mainly because you're you're dealing with supernatural things. So obviously, there's like tinges of horror there. So it's it's like dark for seventies TV, in the same way that the X Files is like it's darker than most um like procedural dramas mm. that were on at the time except for like you know episodes we have discussed earlier in this very episode where it gets really dark <laughs> and you wonder <laughs> yeah. how 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 this is airing on television mm. um but on a mostly it's just kind of like okay this is like a little darker than like maybe most people were comfortable mm. with on television but then if you compare it to like i don't know like american horror story or something like mm. that it's like what dark tv is now like it obviously is like it's not nearly as dark as that stuff so innocent and sweet mm. <laughs> we're the yeah, early it... 90s so innocent they didn't know what was coming um yeah i mean obviously we were like we've said we were we would have been um like what eight nine years old in 93 94 when this was starting to come on and and then coming on over in the uk um mm-hmm. and so i was gonna ask like what were you watching at the time i mean you reminded me about the outer limits i had completely forgot about that i used to watch that um i think on sky i guess um although i can't remember anything about it but that's kind of like an adult goosebumps right (laughs) yeah 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 basically so i used to i I I was watching that but like back then i think i probably was watching the power rangers and the simpsons probably Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. That was what my TV diet would have... That and, you know, Doug and whatever else was on Nickelodeon. Maybe some shows on Trouble, like Sweet Valley High or something. I don't know. Yeah, those a lot of those were in the rotation for me. Uh, anything that was on Nickelodeon. Was not allowed to watch Rocco's Modern Life because my dad <gasps> thought it was too gross. It was pretty um, gross. But that's why watched, it was funny. I, yeah, I remember specifically there's one episode where Rocco goes to the movie theater and there's a baby sat next to him who's initially just like really annoying and then it starts sucking on his eyeball and that was the one episode my dad saw me and my sister <laughs> watching and he was so disgusted by it he says you can never watch that uh... again that was the only that was the only show i ever remember him saying we weren't allowed to watch um yeah i think uh yeah the only like horror thing i think i probably watched as a kid around then would have been are you afraid of the dark oh yes because that was on Nickelodeon. Yep, yep, yep. And so you just think, oh, keep watching Nickelodeon. This will be fine. And then, um, yeah, it was, just, it was the sort of show where at a certain point, as soon as I would hear the theme song, the TV would go off because it freaked me out too much. Yeah, it was pretty um, freaky. Um, I kind of enjoyed the freakiness. Like this, I just had such different tastes when I was a kid to now. Like I, but maybe that's because like TV now in general, let alone the horror stuff, is just a lot. <laughs> mm. um, but uh, also weird things like um, what was it called? Ra- what was it called? Round the Twist. Yeah, that I was Aussie- just about was to say Round the Twist was that was an Aussie show that aired on ITV or something. Yeah, maybe in the UK. That was odd. Um, I just remember the one where his the dude the kids like mouth went really small. Like, mm. that's the only one I can really remember. But that yeah, was... that was another one where the theme the, the theme song really creeped me out um, massively. Um, so even though I don't think I watched too many episodes of that again, like there was, there was just with a lot of shows, I would just kind of at some point hit a threshold where I was like, right, I'm never watching this again, and just anything associated with freaked me out. Um, but yeah, round, round the twist for some reason was. I mean, obviously, it was like a show that was trying to be weird mm-hmm. and creepy, mm-hmm. but like it for some reason that was that and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Dark were the two that like absolutely like wrecked me as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and we wonder why millennials are so anxious. <laughs> um, well, I'm super excited about getting back into this again for like the third or fourth time you'd think i'd remember a lot more details and trivia about a show that i have watched all through a few times but i'm gonna actually pay attention this time i'm gonna make notes (laughs) i'm gonna make notes yeah that'll that'll be the difference when you're watching it and you're just enjoying it (laughs) like some of the finer details will will uh zoom by Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so yeah, if you've enjoyed this first episode and you would like to follow us on the various social media sites uh, to get updates on the show, then you can follow us on Twitter at the File Room Pod, uh, or you can email us thefileroompod at gmail uh, Love to hear any stories you have about how you got into the X Files, uh, whether it scared you or not. Yeah, and if you have any paranormal experiences of your own which i'm sure a lot of people do like a lot of people have weird stuff that happens in their lives and we'd love to hear about that um we'll probably talk about that on a on a future episode um and yeah if you uh, yeah like I say if you enjoy the show then also please uh subscribe to us on all the various platforms uh like us and uh, leave us a review uh you know we're starting this thing off fresh and the you know like uh ratings and reviews engagement uh, engage really with us people engage with us Otherwise, we're just going to ramble on about all sorts of random crap, so you might as well tell us what you like and what you don't like. Cool. Uh, Yeah, so uh, until next time, uh, I've been Edwin Davis. I'm Michael Livingston Banks. Ta-ra. It is real. It is real.